This is Mark Jones, the uh, creator of Leprechaun, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Genoviva Rossi, and it's very cool to have you here. Back again. Yeah, thank you for having me back. It's been a couple years, I think, right? Time yeah, flies. yeah, that is weird, because it seems like it, was, it wasn't that long ago. But it also seems like a lifetime ago, because of everything that's going on. Yeah, I was just saying to one of my friends, remembering something from a year ago, and we're like, was that a year ago? It seems like it was five years ago, with like... How so many things have happened in a short time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first, first of all, how is that affecting you? You know, as a uh, as an actor and a filmmaker. Um. Well, you know, it's definitely been um, an adjustment. You know, the whole you know pandemic and stuff. But uh, good news is that I recently worked on a film um, called Central Authority which was a film using technology, a totally social, social, socially uh, distanced film that was done during the pandemic. We had a cast of, I think, over 30 people who were all over the world uh, taking part in a feature film called Central Authority, so people can look for that in the coming months. But otherwise, it's been interesting because we actually filmed that with social distancing remotely using, you know, cutting-edge technology and stuff, which is very different than what we usually do, which is when you film a film and, you know, the, you know, the cast, the crew, you know, everybody is there. You know, a lot of times you have a lot of people in the same room, and then, you know, right now we can't do that. So it's an adjustment. Yeah, it's a crazy time, and, and a lot of people have a lot of stuff that's filmed, and then you can't get it out there. And it was a good thing Attack of the Killer Chickens had its, you know, it played uh, the festivals before all this happened. Exactly. Um, one of the last festivals we did actually had the trophy over here. It was called the Antihero uh, Short Film Festival in Burbank, uh, California. Uh, that was in February where Attack of the Killer Chickens, it's the Antihero Production Genre Fest, and it won Best Grindhouse Film. And I got this little zombie award. Isn't he cute? Uh, it's awesome. Was it? Yeah, so, those rule. It won. It also won, I think, uh, best short, best comedy, uh, best spoof on the action on film festival in Las Vegas, and it won a bunch of awards at the uh, Fantastic Film Festival in San Diego. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's a short film, Attack of the Killer Chickens, and I'm currently turning into a feature length film that's in production right now. Yeah, was that always the plan to do the short and then do the feature? That's a good question. In a sense, it was, but I didn't know that that was necessarily going to happen. I uh, did a short film. So one of my friends, my friend Pamela Martin, who plays my wife in the short film, um, and I had wanted to do a film together, and she was like, you know, you have an idea in mind and stuff. I said, well, I have this crazy chicken idea that we could do. And then I knew in the back of my mind, I made it a six and a half minute short that I could expand it into a feature. And I had a lot of ideas about the plot and stuff. So the short was kind of intended as a proof of concept. And if it didn't go anywhere, it didn't go anywhere. You know? And then luckily, it ended up becoming a feature film that we're working on with Cluck Cluck Productions and my partner, uh, Dave Stein. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw the, the short. and it was It's very funny. And I so... I assume the, the the feature is would the short be like a, a a clip you would say from the feature or like how how do they connect are they similar? Um, I would 
say the short kind of introduces the plot line and some of our main characters and the basic premise of the film. So it's a good little sample of the film, and then the short is going to be expanded upon quite a bit for the future film. Yeah, yeah. So what was uh, the experience like to direct your first movie? Well, that was my short, first short film that I directed, and um, I was overwhelmed at the response that it received. It was something I kind of did on a whim a little bit because my friend Pamela Martin, who won Best Actress for it at the Fantastic Film Festival, I think she was Best Supporting and I won uh, Best Actress in the Short, so we both got awards for it. Um, she and I have been talking about doing the film. I uh, wanted to do it on chickens because of the idea that I had read somewhere that there were actually more chickens in the world now than there are humans, which is a great dumb fact. And I love great dumb facts. So it seemed like a normal conversation I would have with my friend Pamela. <laughs> right. <laughs> it seems like a, a conversation I would have with someone as well. So maybe I fit in there. There are actually more chickens now in the world than there are humans, you know? So what do we do with that great dumb fact? And we turn that into like a film. Um, so it was pretty interesting, you know, and I cast all the people in the film, people that were my friends and also people I have worked with and people that were professional actors and crew to work with them. You know, after being in so many films in a short period of time, I know a lot of people and I know who I wanted to work with in this very small kind of core group. There were only like six or seven of us. And we shot the film, in, the short film, in one day. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was pretty tight. And um, our cinematographer, uh, Nick Sapito, did a fantastic job. And, um, you know, and then I think it went to at least 40 or 50 film festivals. And I think it's won maybe at least six awards, which is pretty good for my first time yeah, doing it. That's awesome. Did, uh, have, did, you, did you get to go to some of the festivals? Uh, for sure, for sure. I went to a lot of them, including the one in uh, Las Vegas. Unfortunately, I couldn't go to the one in San Diego because I was signing autographs in uh, Burbank, California at the Burbank Horror Fest. And it was the same weekend, of course. I hate that. I had, like, nothing to do the following weekend. Right. <laughs> and then, too, yeah. And in Kingdom, or I could be in uh, Burbank. Uh, this would be in San Diego. And I couldn't clone myself in time. So I Maybe next time. Yeah. You know. And yeah. then I'm, I didn't go to – I was planning on going to Burbank, California, to pick up uh, my zombie award here mm -hmm. at the Euro Genre Fest. But, you know, when all the news of the oh, – I, in February, I had a sense of what was coming because I had been mm -hmm. watching the news, and I didn't really want to be on a plane. Uh, yeah. But at that time. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have mine here, but I my short film also won one of those amazing awards. So the director Michael Epstein has it currently. But it is it's I think it's like the coolest award I've ever seen. The little uh, golden zombie. Zombie Award. That's my first trophy. All my other awards are plaques that go on the wall. So this is a great little trophy. You know, it's, it's amazing what you can do with a trophy. Really, like, pop. Yeah. When 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 was this past uh, festival? Yeah, it was the same one. Did you go out to the festival? I know, it was the same way. It was uh, it was February, right when everything was starting, and so yeah, I didn't get get out there, unfortunately. Yeah, I was so close to buying a plane ticket, but then I had some reservations about it. Yeah. And then you know. There's so many germs even on a good to day. To begin with, right? Right? Yeah. I know I'm arthritis and stuff from being on a plane with people, so I didn't want to chance it. So, you know, if it was a life or death thing, like visiting like a, a sick relative right. or something, I would have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so unfortunately, I missed picking it up, but they were nice enough to send it to me so that it worked out. It's yeah. bad timing. Uh, yeah. Are you out on the West Coast, or you're you're in uh, New York, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in New York, New Jersey area. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So it's, so it's a bit of a flight for me to get out to California. Yeah, I'm so in Massachusetts, so same way. I'm like, I don't know if I want to drive across the country and drive back, you know. So that's a, that's a pretty big undertaking. <laughs> yeah. Had you been to festivals before, just like a, with something else you were in, not necessarily you made? Yeah, for sure. Um, like, um, in a short film called Mr. Bones that went to a whole bunch of different film festivals. Um, there was a really great short film that I was in uh, called The Abducted, directed by Larry Rosen, which I did win Best Actress for, and that I think has won about 40 awards. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I think that's his short film that won the most awards, and I happened to be in it. And um, we, that one, I went to a lot of film festivals for that one. I got one award. He got a bunch of awards. I think just about everybody in the movie got an award at some point, at some film festival that it went to. It, it literally got 40 awards, yeah. which is a lot. Yeah. And then I've had a whole bunch of other things over the years, like uh, Zombie Hunters City of the Dead, uh, Jacko Slasher, I know, has played at some film festivals. I think I Spilled Your Guts might have played at a film festival. Oh, James Balsamo movie, yeah. At a film festival, Teresa and Allison has played at some film festivals. Um, a whole bunch. You know, some films that I do kind of go straight into distribution, and they don't always bother with film festivals. Like it just depends on what uh, the director yeah. decides to decides to do. And I don't do like a lot of short films. Once in a while, I'll do a short film, but short films are really all about submitting to a film festival, even more than features. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty much what you do. And I tend to do a lot more features than I do shorts. But once in a while, I'll do a short film if I, you know, find the right director, the right script, the right part. Is uh, is directing something you'd like to do more of after uh, the experience with uh, chickens? I'm sure, sure. I'm looking forward to working with uh, Dave Stein and Clock Clock Productions, our production company, down the road. He was in the Lich, wasn't he? I'm sorry to interrupt you. But I think he was the Lich, wasn't he? He is the Lich. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, Dave. Yeah, Dave is the Lich. He's not just in the Lich. Right, right. He is the Lich, exactly. I'm sorry. Yes. And he pops up as an actor in Attack of the Killer Chickens, the movie. And he's actually a really good actor. Um, in that film, we really give him uh, a real kind of character role with a lot of dialogue that you really kind of like dig himself into, you know? Yeah. So a little different than I think anything previously. Mm-hmm. So, is uh, is the is the feature completely shot? Is it? Do you need to? How 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 far advanced is it in the uh, production of it? We had to take a break because of the pandemic. Dave mm-hmm. didn't want us to take any chances with yeah. anybody's health, of course. And um, I'm looking forward to us resuming shooting as soon as we, Dave and I feel as though things are like safe and stuff. You know. Yeah. Where, where'd all the chickens come from? I know you said there's more chickens in, than humans, but uh, I don't know if there's more uh, puppet chickens than there are humans. Yeah, there's not as many puppet chickens as I would like in the world. <laughs> there's not, right. Well, you've, you've helped you've helped that uh, come along. There are more puppet chickens now because of you. Well, um, our, the person that created our chicken puppets for the short and the feature is somebody named Rocco George. You can look him up online. And Rocco George is uh, an actor, comedian, and also a puppet maker and puppeteer, uh, which is pretty cool. And I met him on the set of Bernard T. Ward's Popcorn Bag of Terror, where he was working as a puppeteer and actor in a scene with me. And we connected, and as luck would have it, he used to raise chickens. Oh, really? A puppet maker and a puppeteer. Yeah. So it was just like it just seemed meant to be, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, oh, goodness. he's like, I used to raise chickens. You're making a chicken. Uh, so Rocco is very prominently featured in the short. In the feature, in the short alone, which you saw, he plays multiple chickens, and he also plays Vinny, the character that gets his eyes pecked out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pops up, and then he's a black commander chicken talking and then he's the attack chicken and he's also the white chicken betty he, he's like all the chickens plus he's uh Vinny, uh getting fucked you know so he's like all over that but you don't realize he's so prominently featured in the short film because he's a puppet yeah <laughs> for most of his parts you know right yeah. is it would is yeah. that how yeah. i would assume like i'm going sorry oh i was gonna say all of us in the feature, get to play our get to play human characters and also uh, chicken puppets. At, oh, really? At some point. All right. Was that fun yeah, to play a chicken? Yeah, yeah. Just about everybody got to play a chicken. Uh, Dave was a chicken. Dave was a person. Everybody played a couple different parts in a sense because it was easy to recycle the actors from like their human character and then to a chicken character. You could always do a different voice and things like that, and you're not going to be recognizable as a chicken puppet. 
Yeah. Nick Charles says hello, who uh, made the uh, B documentary two, which you're in, and Dwayne uh, Steeler, who says he has a question. But he didn't say what the question is. He just says he has a question. Maybe we'll get to it here eventually. Well, um, yeah, we filmed his documentary a few years ago in Salem, Massachusetts. Okay. Pretty fun. Yeah. Um, up there and, you know, um, did some touristy stuff and then also shot my segments for his film. It was pretty cool. I think we, I remember we went to the Wax Museum there. We went to the Witch Museum. And then the funny thing I remember when I was in Salem, I was telling Nick this, is that when I was dressed up or I was walking down the street, a couple people came up to me at different times and told me that I look like a witch. Oh, really? No, they're like, you look so much like a witch. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm in Salem, so you guys would know. But, you know so. <laughs> yeah, they should be the experts in this. As long as they don't try yeah, to you yeah. know, put you on a stake or anything. Yeah, yeah stake me or hang me and things like that. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think witches were hanged in Salem and mm-hmm. burned at the yeah, because I did a uh, – I'm in Massachusetts, so yeah, I've been to Salem a bunch of times. And we did a walking tour once uh, for Halloween, and uh, I found out that there were no uh, witches burned in Salem. They were all hung, and, and some of them were squashed, which – or I don't know the proper term, but that sounded horrible, was they slowly would put rocks on you and over days would, would squash you. Well, there was one you. guy, they were, they were pressing stones on him. I forgot his name. And because they want him to confess, right. they would be able to seize his property and wouldn't go to his children. Mm-hmm. And then his last words were more weight, meaning that he was going to die rather than uh, give up his property that his, you know, heirs yeah. were supposed to get. Yeah. Which, you know, very, like the story they tell you like a hundred times when you're in Salem. But we always think, I think it's burning at the stake because of movies like Black Sunday and also uh, Witchfinder General, where Vincent Price plays like an inquisitor. Yeah. Does that take place in England? And they both place, take place, I guess, in Europe. And in Europe, for whatever reason, they uh, they burn them at the stake. And in America, we, we hang them. Which hanging, I guess, if you're going to kill somebody, is much more humane than burning someone at the stake. Burning someone at the stake is really horrific, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not. Well, yeah, it doesn't sound like- uh, I was trying to find the question. Yes. Someone, I think they asked about when the when the chicken movie's coming out, but we talked about it. So I don't know when you have a plan for it because you'd have to finish it and everything first. I was hoping for this year, but it's looking like probably next year because of the pandemic and everything else going on in the world and our shoots being like kind of delayed because the shoots is going to delay us editing and scoring it and everything else. So what are you going to do? So probably next year. Yeah. Uh, Nick says, yeah, we saw some great uh, museums, and it was a very fun shoot. Oh, yeah. I've been to Salem. I think that was only maybe my second trip there, but I love, like, the history and everything <laughs> there. Although it is, you know, obviously a very dark place because there's so many people who actually, you know, were killed there, and that's what we're kind of remembering, celebrating, in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird kind place because uh, half of it is very touristy where it's kind of like goofy stuff and then then you have the actual historic places for it so it really all depends uh where you go in salem what you're looking for oh yeah some of it gets pretty sad like i know eli wazell who's a holocaust survivor he wrote night he actually i think came out there at some point to help them erect a memorial because much like the jewish people being uh killed for their beliefs in the holocaust these people were persecuted you know, based on religion and things like that, by the Puritans and Salem, mm-hmm. you know, and put to death unjustly, and some of them in prison for years, you know, yeah, um, and tortured and all these other things. And we kind of sometimes we forget about that part of American history, you know, mm-hmm. yes. that we have that. We have a lot of bad American history if you think about it, between slavery and uh, you know, uh, you know, hanging witches and all this other stuff. You know, we have a lot on our plate. Yeah, camps. The, uh, I think times right now will be remembered as bad time in, in American history. Yeah, yeah, I was just saying to a friend of mine, it's like today actually we were saying it's almost like we feel like we're trapped in like 1968 again or something like that. You know, because it is reminiscent. And that time period, they obviously were having a lot of uh, riots and protests. And there was also a pandemic in 1968 as well. 
and oh, political I unrest. Oh, I wasn't aware of that, yeah. That's yeah, really actually, you know, my brother told me that about a book called 1968 that I should read, and I looked it up online, and they mentioned there was a pandemic, and I didn't know there was a pandemic in 1960 until I found it out last night because my brother told me that. Okay. <laughs> a lot of parallels, he was saying. Yeah, it's really it's weird. It's like history repeating itself in a lot of ways. You know, what do they say? A uh, uh, society that projects its mistakes is destined to repeat them. You know? mm -hmm. So, and that's maybe like what we're doing now. We kind of forget, and and you don't learn from things, and then you know they repeat themselves in a sense until you do learn. Yeah. Were you a horror movie fan before uh, you became an actor? Yes, 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 yes. I was always really big into horror movies ever since I was like a little kid. And I remember one of the first films that really affected me as a kid, because my father was a big Vincent Price fan, was uh, Barbara Steele and Vincent Price in uh, The Pit and the Pendulum, you know, which is an Edgar Allan Poe story. Yeah. And then I, I watched a lot of really cool horror movies as a child, especially like really old ones, I guess, were like kind of wholesome in a sense. You know, because I was like a little kid, I was like eight or something. And I would consider, I guess, not violent or not too sexual or anything like that. And then I, I uh, as a child, I used to go to the Chiller Theater Horror Convention. And a little bit later, I started going to Monster Mania. And I went to Saturday Nightmares and a whole other bunch of horror conventions. And then somehow that kind of segued into me acting, where one day somebody asked me if I wanted to be in Jennifer Valdez's horror movie, Jacko Slasher. And I came up to play a sexy Satanist. And then, you know, here, here we are now. Yeah, it all starts with the sexy Satanists. That's who we have to thank. Yeah. yeah. We should be almost redundant. Like, how could you be a Satanist and not be sexy? <laughs> That's how very true. <laughs> 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 yeah, they, uh, <clears throat> did your family, uh, do your family watch your movies? No. I tried no. to talk to <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I, I don't even know if they act. They know I act. <laughs> well, fair enough. I don't want to get on a bad subject. I'm sorry. I don't make it an issue, and I don't make it even an issue with anybody like I date or I'm friends with that they have to get to sit down and watch a movie that I'm in. Right. Because it seems kind of like perfect to like make my family or my boyfriend sit down and watch a movie that I'm in. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, it, uh, it, you know, I want to, I guess they can, but I'm not going to make anyone do anything, you know, yeah. like yeah. that. I I don't really sit around watching my movies all the time either. Right. Like if I go to a film or I go to a screening or a premiere, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, or if somebody comes over and they really want to see it or something like that, maybe we'll watch it. But I don't like sit around watching my films like over and over again. I'm usually watching other films. And I think as an actor, a lot of times you like to watch films to try to get informed of the kind of um, acting that other actors are doing. Like when I when I heard about Joker, I knew that Jocelyn Phoenix was doing an amazing job as Joker, so I went to go see that twice. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when Bohemian Rhapsody came out, um, the guy that played Freddie Mercury did such a phenomenal job, I think I went to see that three or four times. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. like if, if it's a movie with a really strong acting in it, it's really great, I think, as an actor to really see that, you know? Mm -hmm. I would think it would also be good to keep up with, uh, you know, some like independent stuff to see like uh, potentially people you might work with, you know, uh, uh, you know, either directors or, or whoever. Oh, absolutely. I do that too. And then, and then that's one of the nice things about going to the premieres and the film festivals is that when you go out to these film festivals, you might watch like, you know, dozens of directors in a weekend or in a day. That really exposes you to things, and then you get to meet everybody a lot of times in the flesh of things like that. Yeah. Um, like I worked with like Bill Overstreet Jr., and I saw his movie Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. That was like a really cool one. Um, so once in a while, if there's an actor I find particularly interesting, I will sit down and watch some of their movies and kind of get a sense of that, you know, mm -hmm. or somebody that I've worked with, you know, to maybe get a sense of them and their work and their style and things. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't get involved in the whole independent. Uh, for sure. I didn't really like Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. I thought that was like a really ridiculous, over-the-top, fun movie. It is, yeah. 
and uh, and Oberus, he's a great actor. Uh, I, that might have been the first movie I saw with him in it too. That you mentioned it, but uh, anytime he's in something, I'm always always checking out because he's always a really interesting actor. Yeah, he was really believable as Abraham Lincoln too. Yeah, which right? I think you have to. I think, for my opinion, when a movie like that to work, like uh, the actors have to play it straight and believable for to to work and be funnier to me. Oh, exactly right, exactly right. And I like that over-the-top humor like that, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln versus Zombies, you know, Sharknado, Attack the Killer Chickens, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know, things like that, like really over-the-top kinds of uh, humor. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I love uh-huh. Kingdom of Spiders with William Shatner, you know? Yes. Like really bizarre, hilarious uh-huh. movies. Yeah. Like well, if you've that, seen like Velocip Pastor would be a, a recent one I would recommend. I quite I quite enjoyed it. Which one? The Velosa Pastor. It's about a uh, like a priest who turns into a yeah. dinosaur. Yeah. Based on a true I story. I know Zombie. Big one that was a ridiculous movie that came out a while ago. What was it? I'm sorry. That's what, Zombie Beavers. Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. You know. You know, anything like that that's just, like, pure gold because I think really uh, people enjoy, like, really bizarre, over-the-top kinds of crazy horror movies. And, and, and in Attack of the Killer Chickens, that's kind of like the genre we're paying homage to is these over-the-top you know, sci-fi horror films that they're just, like, so ridiculously funny and mm-hmm. so ridiculously low-budget. Yes, yes. Like, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is like that, you know? It's like the big giant tomatoes are obviously made out of paper mache, and they've been like, you know, glued to like a shopping cart and being pushed at you. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's, it's still great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you still have the chickens? Do you have them there? You don't have to get them. I was oh. just wondering if they're there. Um, you know what? I think they're um, actually with their maker right now. Okay, um, they met their maker. Fixed up a little bit for the next shoot because uh, you know they, sometimes they get a little damaged, um, you know, killing people and wreaking mm-hmm. havoc. That they have to be kind of like uh, you know refeathered, if you will, and and um, get them ready again. So I think he's doing that with them as we speak, Rocco George. And getting them ready for our next shoot, you know, yeah. you know, gluing feathers on them, getting like their head and, and beaks back on, and all that kind of stuff. They were with me for a while. Um, they they stay in my apartment and hang out with me. And once they're getting fixed, and that's what they're getting fixed and repaired and ready for the scene, you know, mm-hmm. having whatever uh, special effects attached to them and things like that. So. Yeah. yeah, killing people's hard work. So you know, they they take their bumps and bruises. Oh, yeah, and, you know, and they're messy eaters. Sometimes they get a lot of blood on themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and that blood stinks. It's hard to get out of their feathers and, and stuff, you know? Yeah. There's a pretty hot scene yeah. with a chicken and, and a guy in the uh, in the movie. So, a good oh, yeah, it was Edward X. Um, we, uh, with Betty, the white chicken. Uh, Betty was modeled after Camilla from um, The Muppet Show, uh, which was Gonzo's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So she was like kind of the inspiration we were making that one. And she would be like this, this, this very pretty, you know, sexy chicken puppet. And Edward X. Young um, had been complaining for years that, I, that he never gets sex in the movie. So I wrote him a sex scene. Uh-huh. His wish has been fulfilled. Careful. Yes. So his wish has been fulfilled. Yeah, his wish was fulfilled. And he had, he had a big sex scene in the movie. Um, and then the backstory on that is that uh, one of the reasons why I wrote that character for Ed is that a couple weeks before we filmed that scene, Ed had been in a, a near-fatal car accident. Oh, wow. Where Sorry he fractured his sternum, he was coughing up blood, uh, I think he broke a couple ribs and he had a broken arm. And um, he had missed out on shooting another film that meant a lot to him because of his injuries. And I wanted to cheer him up because he's going through a very depressed part. So I wrote him this part that worked around his physical limitations. That's why he's pretty much, you know, um, kind of reclining. Uh-huh. You watch it, his arm is actually in a cast, and that's why we have it in a bathrobe. Trying oh. to cover up the fact that he has a cast. <laughs> you know? And I also felt like with the bathrobe on, he looked a little like Hugh Hefner from like the book. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can see that, yeah. And I want a playboy kind of character that was using his seduction right. uh, in that scene, like Hugh Hefner. Uh, but yeah, so then, uh, so then Ed did that scene, and I think he was a little loopy from the pain medication, which probably just added to it. <laughs> I watched that scene on a loop. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, it was a very funny. Scene. <laughs> yeah, he said he pretended that it was uh, Nicole Kidman, his favorite actor. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Fair that's who you should have named it. Then. Actor, you have to- yeah. What were you saying? I'm oh, sorry. No, yeah. I don't know. What? Uh, what were you saying before that? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Oh, yeah. We should name Chicken Nicole. Yeah, I don't know why we ended up naming her Betty. It just happened that way. Yeah. Well, I think Betty's a good name, too. You can't go wrong with Betty White. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Betty White. Yeah, she's like, uh, somebody told me that they worked with Betty White, and they said she was a real uh, you know, dirty woman. You know, oh, really? Real flirt. Yeah, on the set. You know, she might be like 90-something, but, you know, She's still flirts with all the guys. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Why so, not? Yeah. AJ Zyler wants to know, uh, having the title Scream Queen as an honor, how do you differentiate dif- differentiate yourself uh, to other past and present Scream Queens? How might I differentiate myself from past and present Scream Queens? Yes. Well, the Scream Queen term is an interesting term. People think, like, maybe you scream a lot, maybe yeah. you run around naked. I really think it's Scream Queen, or even nowadays we have the term Scream King for the men. Oh, of, you know, all right. Is, it just means that you're someone that's well known for acting in the horror genre, ultimately. Mm-hmm. That's what I think it really relates to. And then I think the difference between me and maybe some other um, Scream Queens in the past is I feel like I'm definitely a bit more of a character actor in most of my films. Um, you know, I play like a Satanist, I play a witch, I play a gypsy fortune teller, I play a mother, I play like a killer, I play a pregnant woman, I play a soldier. A lot of my roles tend to be more like kind of character roles than just kind of fluff, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have fluffy roles though, but you know, I, I, I try to like kind of run the gamut and play all different kinds of roles and that kind of stuff. And kind of, you know, even I've, I've even played roles um, that maybe were intentionally meant for guys. Like when I'm in Zombie Hunters to be the Dead, I play a soldier. And I think that was a part originally they were going to use a man for, but they decided to have a female soldier and they cast me as a female soldier. Um, and I ended up being the only person on set with real combat boots because I wear combat boots sometimes. Uh-huh. So I had real combat boots that I brought. I had two pairs. Yeah. I had jungle and regular leather ones that I brought, and I asked the director which pair he wanted me to wear with, with my uh, camouflage outfit. Yeah. yeah how, so. how did that come about, um, you know, if they were originally looking uh, for male for that role, and you got the role? You know, I had been talking to the guy, um, Patrick Devaney, that was looking to cast the film. He was put, I was put in touch with him by my good friend Bob Sachi, who was also in Zombie Hunters Day the Dead as a looter. Um, and... Um, I said to him, like, you know, do you have any open parts? And he said, no, the only part we have open, it's through, like, a National Guard soldier character. But he's like, you know, we don't have any female soldiers, and this is the modern age, and there are female soldiers, so maybe we should mix it up and throw one in, right? To diversify a little bit. Right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, you want to mix things up. Our military, our our police force, our, our postal service, our everything, has obviously people of all different backgrounds, you know, compared to what it was like maybe 50 years ago or something. So. Yeah. Was that a physical role, a physically demanding role? Uh, it was like an action role. It was interesting. So we had somebody there that I had, to, I think, had some military experience is that trained us on how to crawl around with our, our uh, automatic weapons, the proper way to hold our guns the proper way to look military, have the right stance, have the right uh, posture, the right body language in the scene so we wouldn't look like completely, you know, out of character and not in sync with things. So that was kind of interesting. But, you know, it wasn't too physical overall. You know, once in a while your roles are kind of physical, that one wasn't too physically demanding, though. You know, once in a while you, you do end up in some very uncomfortable or, like, uh, 
yeah, uncomfortable kinds of roles. Like one of them that I thought of that was rather uncomfortable was uh, when I was in Apocalypse Kiss and I'm nine months pregnant and I'm giving birth. And I'm in this freezing building that must be like 30 degrees and I'm covered with fake sweat and blood and I'm pretending to give birth. And I'm like barely wearing any clothes. And I'm just like, I'm like, wow. You know, don't realize how uncomfortable and not glamorous acting actually is until you become an actor. Mm-hmm. It's always like freezing or you're sweating. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, when you said like, uh, you know, they were teaching you how to hold the guns properly and stuff, what are some of the things that like you've had to learn uh, for a role that might be unusual? That's good. Um, one of the things I learned for a role that was really interesting is um, I went out to West Virginia for Dead Men Tell No Tales. My character kills people with a chainsaw. So I had to learn how to use a chainsaw that day. I've never used a chainsaw before. Yeah, so I went I, out there, like, you know, it was chainsaw use 101 uh-huh. on the job training, how to use a chainsaw, and then to be in a scene using a chainsaw, looking like you you know, maybe have held a chainsaw before. Obviously, I would think you were kind of experienced with chainsaws if you, if you decided to kill people with. Right, right. At least I would yeah, you yeah. pick up the chainsaw from the side. Yeah, you do don't want to. Yeah, you don't want a novice uh, uh, chainsaw wielder to kill somebody. It's probably won't turn out no. very well. Well, if you had never used a chainsaw before, I think you would probably go to an axe or a knife first. You know? <laughs> right, right. So, so you thought you thought a lot about this, apparently. I would think so. I would think so. It was a pretty small, light chainsaw, though, maybe 20 pounds, if that. You know, it was yeah. like, a, like a very like little chainsaw. Um, so we did that one, and that was on-the-job training, which was kind of funny. And um, I'm trying to think what other on-the-job training. Well, you're always learning things, I think, when you're on a film set, especially when we get involved with special effects. When I worked on Richard Gordon Lewis's Blood Mania, uh, Dave Trainer, our makeup artist who's worked on the TV show Fargo, mm-hmm. um, got me all ready with all this makeup and blood pumps and all this other stuff. And it was like a really, really involved special effects scene that we could only do with one take because of the huge mess that we made. Like gallons of blood squirting everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. What's What was that like to work with? Because I love Herschel Gordon Lewis. I love his movies. I had him on the show you know, several times before he passed away. And uh, just always a really nice guy. What was that like to be in a movie made by Herschel Gordon-Lewis? Really, really nice guy. Herschel did not like swearing. He's a very old-fashioned, gentlemanly guy. He doesn't like people curse. I was warned that when I met him. And then um, we had Dave Trainer, who worked for Fargo, who was a big fan of his work as a makeup artist who did a phenomenal job. I'd have to say that when we did my uh, special effects scene, that was the first time I was probably a little queasy on a film set doing special effects. A lot of times it looks pretty obviously fake, but this time it looked so close. And Dave Trainer is an award-winning special effects guy that worked at Fargo. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was, gave it a really authentic kind of thing. It really looked like, you know, like things were really as disgusting and as gory as uh, they appear to be in the film. You know, even from my perspective as being in the scene. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, Herschel was a really nice guy. Um, he was 85, I think, at the time. And he was planning on doing more films, and he had come out of retirement to do Herschel Gordon, Gordon Lewis's Blood Mania with uh, James Sato out in Calgary, Canada. And I came out to be involved in that. And I think it was really inspiring that here you have uh, Herschel at his age still really, you know, directing and being creative like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I had him and uh, and James on the on the show when uh, when they were making it, and it was uh, yeah, it was cool that he was so uh, into it and, and you know and and still uh, excited to to go out and make a movie. Exactly. Well, you're only as old as you feel, and um, and he I guess he didn't feel very old, and he still felt very creative and invigorated by all the blood and gore and fun. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, I was remember because uh, I didn't have it set up to do video at the time; we were just doing it on Skype audio. But he thought it was on video, and I was like, "Oh, you don't have to." He's like, "So I don't. I can get comfortable." And I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." And so he was like in a three-piece suit, and he reached up and like loosened his tie like an eighth of an inch, and that was it. And I was like, "Oh, I guess that's that." He's comfortable now, but it was very funny to me that that's all he did. <laughs> yeah, and he just loosened it just barely. Just yeah, that was how he got comfortable. I was like, "Okay." I thought he was going to take the jacket yeah. off and everything. But. 
well, he's from a different generation. I would oh, imagine yeah, yeah. Herschel was greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. At that age, he's gone a few few years, so I guess he'd be like close to ninety now if he was still with us. So he's a member of the greatest generation. You know, it's a very uh, you know, he was raised to be uh, you know, very uh, fashionable, well dressed, and very gentlemanly, and to dress up and have the hairstyle, to have your bow tie, your tie, your hat, maybe gloves. You know. Cursing would be wrong. You stand when a, a lady enters the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. We could learn a lot from uh, from Herschel. Well, that's the reason why they call that the Greatest Generation because that's the generation that survived. Um, you know, uh, the Depression. That they came after the Depression. Um, you know, uh, they knew about World War One. They a lot of them fought in World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam. They said some of the greatest Americans came out of that because, and this is what we should remember now, is that sometimes um, adversity makes people rise mm-hmm. and become better people and better Americans. And that's what I think we saw in that generation because that was the generation that I think had actually faced historically the most adversity and therefore we had some of the greatest Americans in history come out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, They yeah. rose to the challenge. So I see you're in Bigfoot, which we're uh, going to be showing in the as a watch party in the group uh, next month. Uh, so what was it like to make uh, Bigfoot? Oh, that was a fun movie. I enjoyed Bigfoot. I play um, a gypsy fortune teller in that that does relationship counseling for Bigfoot and his girlfriend. I specialize in. Uh-huh. Um, I also have a little bit of a Bigfoot fetish because you know Bigfoot's awfully sexy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh-huh. hard not to hard not to. Uh-huh. He's a very sexy guy in the Bigfoot movie. I think everybody has a little bit of a crush on Bigfoot and Bigfoot the movie. Uh, if you, as you'll see if you watch it on Amazon, I had a lot of fun working with my good friend Matt Burns. Matt Burns and I were also working together in uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I killed him with a chainsaw in that movie, and then in this movie I counseled him as a Bigfoot with his girlfriend. Uh-huh. So that was interesting. But, it was, you know, um, I really uh, have gotten a lot of positive feedback on Bigfoot. It's an anthology with a couple of short films all put together into a feature. And some of them are, like, comedy and some of them are horror. And one's kind of erotic, I would say. And um, a lot of people have watched and they told me that they have never seen a Bigfoot movie that put Bigfoot into these circumstances where he's in anger management. He's seeing his therapist. He's having relationship problems. Uh-huh. If he's having identity problems, he's trying to fit in. He feels like he's failing. You know, he's like very relatable. I love it. I actually haven't watched it yet. Matt actually sent me the, the DVD uh, so we could uh, play it in the in the group. But uh, yeah, I, I have not. I actually just got it, so I haven't had a chance to watch it. But uh, I'm excited about. Now I'm even more excited to watch it. Oh, you gotta watch it because every, like I said, everybody that I know that have seen it will really found it to be very original and very uh, funny and very amusing. And then, you know, I didn't realize that the Bigfoot movies are such um, um, a popular genre. Yeah, people yeah. really follow or Sasquatch quite a bit. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not the only one who has the the Bigfoot fetish, apparently. Well, that's also a thing too. This is not a Bigfoot uh, porn movie. Oh, I, I know, uh, I know. We, <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's just a Bigfoot. Um, I guess it's like maybe PG thirteen or R rated kind of like yeah. you know Bigfoot horror movie. Um, nothing too crazy, but we did find out after we made the movie that Bigfoot porn is like a thing. Oh, I didn't know this actually. But okay. And right. some other thing. All right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I was not aware of that, but I'll find out after the show. I'll do some Google's now on this. I think there's a porn. There's porn for everything that you. Can I think. Add. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people uh, email me to review, like, you know, straight up porn for the website. It was like Pennywise and things, and I was like, uh, thanks, but it's not really something I want to. Uh, not that I'm a prude or anything, but I, you know, I, I don't want to review actual pornography on the website. Yeah, some of it was yeah. strange. It was like an Adams Family one, and I was like. It seems kind of creepy since, you know, they're a family. Like, I don't really want to uh, oh, get involved in that. That genre porn were like they, I, what, is, what do they call it? Like the Flint Bones and like Womb Raider. Uh, I think there's a Pirates of the Caribbean one, too. 
where like they take a movie and they spoof it. It's like spoof porn. Right, I guess. right, yeah. Yeah, it's I haven't like watched like, it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but I've gone to enough porn shops in New York City that I know it exists. I haven't seen any of them, but I've I've seen like the boxes. Right, right <laughs> yeah. I like them if they have a fun name, as opposed to just like whatever, whatever the porn parody. Like you, you play off the name and have some fun with it. I think. Oh, you have the flip phones, womb raiders. Like you know, it's pretty hilarious. And I would imagine there's a certain number of people that like to watch porn also like to laugh, I guess. Right, right. I think so. As that, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I guess that's the thing. But yeah, but this is just a regular Bigfoot movie um, where, you know, he's like our central figure. And it's someone's intro. And some people are really like obsessed with Bigfoot. Like, does he exist? Does he not exist? Yeah. How can we photograph so poorly? Right. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> He's just not I photogenic. He's uh, he's uh, he's afraid of uh, pictures. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. Like like he always photographs so bad. Mm-hmm. God, he's always a little blurry. Yeah, especially now when everyone has a phone right on him in their pocket. Yeah, you would think by now we would have like a good picture of him. Yeah, a video. Yeah. You have live video of him up everywhere. He'd be on TikTok. Exactly, exactly. It's it's amazing that it's like this kind of like mystery thing. But I guess I guess it's because the wilderness and nature can be so um, expansive and mysterious that maybe there could be things out there that we're not aware of. Like it's possible, mm-hmm. you know. Every now and then they do discover species that they thought were extinct and things like yeah, that. Do, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So I guess so, anything is possible. Yeah. So uh, last week, uh, I had James Balsamo on the show, and uh, you were in his newest movie. You've been in a lot of his movies. Uh, when did you uh, start uh, making movies with James Balsamo? Well, you know, that's funny, because my first time meeting James was on the set of Jacko Slasher, um, my first horror movie with Jen Valdez, and I play a sexy uh, Satanist in the cornfield, and we're like... Was this a... a, was this a this was this was the secret. This was the sexy Satanist you brought up before, not a, a different sexy Satanist. Well, I played a sexy Satanist a couple times. All right, the same right. sexy. Okay. Um, me and a couple other sexy Satanists are all like kind of seducing James in a cornfield, and that's how I met James. And I also met my good friend Bob Sachi that day, who has also been in a lot of James Balsamo films as well. And I also met Robert Aronson, who ends up in a lot of. Um, James Balsamo film as well. And then afterwards, I ended up working with James and I Spill Your Gut. After doing Zombie Hunters, and around that time, I also did Sheriff Tom versus Zombie. And then um, I Spill Your Guts was the film that came out first that become that became my first IMDb credit on um, IMDb. So if you look it up, I have 106 credits, and the first one is I Spill Your Guts with James. Oh, that's awesome. 106. It's pretty crazy. Do do you uh, have all? all, Would you probably even have more if like uh, if they kept up to date with uh, IMDb? Because I know sometimes uh, they don't get all the credits up there in time. Oh yeah, probably would be like maybe 120 or so if people actually did put everything up there. Because there have been some movies that I've been in where they just never put them on IMDb, or some movies that we're waiting for them to be completed and they don't want to put them up until the movie's done. Done. Mm-hmm. So there's a few along those lines. And then there's some movies that I did over the years that uh, maybe just never got completed and maybe one day they will. Who knows? Is that, yeah, I guess, other- you know, after a while you probably get used to it, but uh, is that hard? Like when you do, uh, you're in something, you think it's good or whatever, and it just never comes out or doesn't get finished? It's tough, I think, when that happens. I, I think I've been lucky that most films that I've been in Sometimes it might take a while to come out, but they do come out eventually. You know, you just have, sometimes it takes a while um, due to whatever reason, like Crucial Born Moses Blood Mania took a couple yeah. of years. A very small part in with Stephen Baldwin called Tapestry took a couple of years. It's a Christian film. Um, sometimes you almost feel like these movies are never going to come out, and then they surprise you, and they, and they do. But maybe there's something slowing them down, or maybe they're just looking for like the, the right time to um, release them. Yeah. This time is important. Or looking for the right distributor. Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have a small part in something I did a few years ago. It hasn't come out yet, but if it ever does, I'm 160 pounds heavier than that. So I was just going to tell everyone that I gained 160 pounds for that role, like modern day uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I hope it comes out at, at some point, but I don't know. So where can uh, people follow Genoviva? For us? Well, I have a website www.genevieverossi.com I'm on IMDb you can see a list of all my films you can look at my um, acting reel, you can look at trailers um, all that kind of stuff and I'm in I think about maybe 35 films that are on Amazon.com now, some of them are on Prime most of them I think are on Prime and then you can also check me out on Instagram, Genevieve Rossi um, Facebook and Twitter Check you out everywhere. It's very good. Well, it was very fun to talk with you again. And let's do it again uh, sooner than two years. Exactly right. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And I will talk to you soon. Even a man who thank is you. Thank always- and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf vein blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf vein blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf vein blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf vein blooms and the autumn moon is bright.